Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph from the Queen's Club, home of the Fever Tree Championships. My name is David Law. You join me inside the Player Lounge. I'm happy to say this time it's not a, an accidental recording because my companion on the Tennis Podcast, Catherine Whitaker and Gigi Salmon's equipment failed yesterday and I had to step in while having had a couple of pints late on last night to record a replacement show. This one is 100% planned and this one features not only a huge tennis fan but also somebody who is a star of stage and screen a star of harry potter and many many more wonderful movies mr jason isaacs hello hello how fantastic to be here pardon me if i'm distracted i'm surrounded by people i absolutely can't stop fangirling over i keep thinking (laughs) it's like being in a movie premiere where i'm completely unimpressed by actors but i'm starstruck by all the tennis players who are in my eyesight yeah we you've just been out watching right behind you nick curios sitting at the table behind you for instance and i'm I'm going dry mouth just looking at him (laughs) you do look a bit thanks so much a bit Uh, bit peaky nick Nick curios against uh, shapovalov was just uh shapovalov as we should Call it. I was just playing table tennis. I was hoping for a game. He's you've walked e- off. You've even got the pronunciation down I, already. Well, only because it, it, I find it very curious when people were saying that. It seemed odd to me. And then I figured they probably met him and he probably said, that's how you say my name. Yes, I think that is. Uh, we did all It's counterintuitive, spend, let's be we, honest. We spent quite a while saying to us, can you just say your name and we yeah. record it and then we'll get it. He but might be messing with you. He might be. He might be. It, we are now in the knowledge of a couple of the, the quarter-finalists for this tournament. Yep. One of them has just won his place through. That is Nick Kyrgios. We're going to be bringing you all the other results uh, of the day later what in the tennis the podcast. Game? What did I think of the I game? I know you're meant to be asking the question, but we've what did you an, think of the we've game? We've got a new presenter as well. This is fantastic. Well, I thought it, it was probably not that dissimilar to what I thought it might be, in right. as much as you could not get two more different players than right. Kyle Edmund and Nick Kyrgios. And Kyrgios, having beaten Andy Murray in a match in which he really struggled to, to, to know how to deal with the occasion, right. he was playing against a friend, he was playing against somebody who was coming back after Come back from injury with a injury. crowd who was desperate to see Andy do well. Yeah, right. I think he felt a bit awkward about right, it all. Right. Whereas now those... That, that fog has disappeared for Nick Kyrgios. So he came out today and he was up for it. He played brilliantly. He won in three sets. He really should have won in two sets, I thought. But Kyle Edmund, I think it showed just how much he's come on, that yeah. he kept on plugging away. And he made it really close. What did you think? Oh, well, I thought it was a serving contest. I mean, there, wasn't, there was barely a rally that went beyond three strokes. 
they both were, uh, Nick more than Kyle was setting hammers down. And, and what I admired, if I was Kyle facing those simple, quick games, a lot of Nick's games were, were one to love with four serves, first serves going in every time, often acing on his second serve. Uh, it would be easy to get dispirited. So I thought what was impressive from Carl's point of view is he plugged away, didn't make him hit his, overhit his balls because it would be tempting to try and serve back at the same pace, and he obviously can't do it. Uh, and he was very, very close. Like most of those games you know, uh, that, that end up in tie breaks, it swung on a couple of points, really a couple of points. And, and, uh, but it was, it's odd watching Nick because he has this demeanour when he plays. Uh, one of the reasons he's most, one of the most explosive young players around is that it looks like he's kind of insouciant. Like he, he doesn't really care or he'll try when he feels like and have a couple of points off. I don't think that's really what's going on inside his head at all. Uh, I'm not sure he's in control of it. But it makes him kind of mesmeric because uh, it's, it's, the tennis is unpredictable. He, he won a game, if not a set. He won a key point at some point with a lob from between his legs. And uh, there's numbers of times that his backhand looks like he's just warming up. Uh, and then he'll suddenly kick into a different gear. So it's, uh, it must be very disconcerting playing someone like that. Yeah, actually, I was, I was standing in the locker room right next to Grigor Dimitrov, who's just come out onto the court. Actually, he's just lost the first set, as we talked to you. We'll be bringing you the result of that match a little later in the show when Gigi Salmon rejoins me here on the Tennis Podcast. But I was standing next to, to Grigor and his coach, Danny Valvadu, and we, we all just laughed about three times yeah, yeah. in the space of three points because he did this front-on lob half-folly through his legs, which I just, I just, I've never seen that before, no, even, also, even in exhibitions. He also laughed when Kyle hit a great shot. He applauded a lot. He said thank you to the ball girls. If you're close up to him, he swore quite a lot as well, which I think uh, some of the broadcasters may have some trouble with. But uh, he was charming, and it was uh, interesting to watch. And, he, you know, if you're a student of the game, both the sport and the psychology of the players, there's none more interesting than Nick Kyrgios at the moment. The, the, the swearing element, I mean, the, you, you mentioned the commentators had to briefly apologise. You, you came in, and, and we were just talking about that briefly. Your, your view is that we just need to deal with that as, as a viewer. I don't think... Look, there's a reason that people remember the era of Nastasi with great fondness. There's a lot of talk about how there weren't any characters in the game, the same three people won over and over again. I, I don't think it's great... Um, um, but I wouldn't ban him or punish him for it. You know, you can't sit on... You can't... You don't want to suppress what makes him all round the most exciting young player in the game. Mm. Uh, I don't mean you want to encourage everything to be X-rated ter- tennis, but I don't think you want to come down too hard on him for that because he's not in control of any of his behaviour and the whole spectrum of it is uh, is what makes him so watchable. You... you- study people for a living That's I what imagine. I do, for a living and, and they're actually tennis players no different from other people just they're in a warrior sport so the stakes are high for them and I'm fascinated as fascinated by what they're thinking in any moment uh, as I am by what they're doing with their racket I, I can imagine somebody trying to play maybe Nick Kyrgios one day yeah. could you? well I, th- if he I think it might be too old um, no, but yeah, I mean, look, what goes, what's going on inside many of the players' minds? So you've got Djokovic, for instance, who sat atop the mountain, who dominated uh, the sport for a long time, having sat in the shadows himself for a long time, thinking, I will never have my moment in the sun. And then that's gone for him. That's evaporated. That sense of invincibility that he had and that radiated that made other people slightly cower. And now he feels eminently beatable uh, and looks that way to other people. And, and that's, you know, that's a general pattern of what happens on each individual point. So you're on game point. You're either you're about to be broken or you're about to win. Are you thinking, I'm going to go for it? 
Are you thinking, I'll just put it back in the middle, let the other person make a mistake? Because at my level, the amateur level, almost every point is won by unforced errors. Uh, what, you know, should you, do you have the comments? Would you rather go down punching? All these things, moment to moment, are what makes players great and what makes sport great, I think. What is it about tennis for you? Because, I mean, you, we've only met today. Right. You, you have not stopped talking about tennis in the last well, three years. we are at Queen's, to be fair. Yes, well, that is true. But you but, do yeah. seem to... No, like, really because I'm surrounded by enthusiasts. And I, in fact, I've just come back. I was a judge at a TV festival in Monte Carlo. And, uh, and I took the gig partly because I wanted to watch a lot of the best European TV, but mostly because the red clay courts. And I did get to go and play up there. And I found another idiotically obsessed uh, television fanatic who's a German, German director. And we just bored the living pants off everybody for days. Um, what is it about it? You know, it's a, it's a warrior sport, I think. Uh, and, um, and when you play, as I do a lot, not particularly well, but I do a lot, you have to be absolutely in the moment. You can't be living, never mind in what happened this morning and what's going to happen this afternoon when you leave. You can't be in the last point and you can't be in the next point. You can't think, I'm 40 15 up, that's my game. You can't think, I'm love 40 down, oh God, I'm going to lose. Even after a double fault, you can't think, I better not double fault again. You might as well go home. So I spend so much of my life, like most people do, like you probably are now, behind this, thinking about what's the question you're about to ask in five seconds. You can't do it when you play tennis well. You have to be completely there. And what the great players do well, better than anyone else, they don't have better shots you know there are people with better serves than Roger there are people with better forehands than, than Rafa even but there's nobody that can focus on the moment so consistently for so long as, as the two or three great players in the world I always remember Andy Murray once saying that it's it's not the physical endurance and, and, and acti- activity right. that, that is tiring it is the decision making that yes. is tiring whilst running you are just every few seconds having to make a decision and that is exhausting and there's things like you know the long running feud between Rafa and Roger people talk about the, the great rivalry actually I saw a number of those games live and I've seen them obviously on screen as well and Rafa was prepared to do the boring hideous thing of just clubbing Roger's backhand with big high bouncing his lefty forehands over and over again and Roger because he's you know who he is when I will not be beaten by I will not concede defeat and run around and hit, take forehands. I will keep hitting backhands. And he kept losing. And then he got a new coach. And he went, OK, I'm going to step in and take the backhands. He still wouldn't say, I'll do something else. I won't give it to your forehand, Rafa, because I want to beat you on my terms. And you keep giving me those forehands, I'll beat you. And he did. And then he came back. And suddenly Rafa's forehand is you know, neutralized. Those kinds of psychological wars, you know, the Serena and Sharapova stuff, that, you know, that I find those as fascinating almost as the actual tennis. Yeah. So you are Roger or Rafa now? Well, you know, Roger has the beautiful game. Obviously, Rafa's is brutal and, and explosive. But I remember Rafa losing the Australian Open to Stamavrinka, and he was injured. He had a thigh injury. The doctor and the trainer came on, and and then in the press conference afterwards, they said to him, "It must have been very disappointing to have that recurring injury." And he said, I wasn't injured. And they went, well, what are you talking about? He had a medical timeout. He said, no, no, that was nothing. Stan played brilliantly, deserves it. He was a, it's his day and he thoroughly deserves the trophy. And I thought that's one of the most beautiful moments in sport I've ever seen, that kind of grace he has. So as a sportsman, I admire Rafa uh, for his grace when losing and when winning. Um, but, you know, Roger's got the game, hasn't he? Roger's yeah. got the all-round beautiful game. What do you make of Andy Murray as, as a player as a, as a character I mean again we talk about Nick Kyrgios people to, to just observe there's so much going on with well Andy I watched Murray. you know first of all you have to think about Andy's background the terrible things he saw as a kid and uh, you know the household he grew up in and because uh, the key to everyone I don't get too Freudian but the key to everyone is what your life was if you read Agassiz's book you know the key to everything he is as a player has to do with his dad and his relationship but then 
I used to see Andy play live and be so aware that he was sapping his own energy by complaining. He could suck the atmosphere out of an entire stadium when they were all rooting for him and he felt upset, entitled, disappointed. There was some petulant, there was something about him and it wasn't serving him. It wasn't like McEnroe. He wasn't getting himself up to play better. He actually played worse. The more he shrugged his shoulders, looked at his box, the more he kind of looked at the heavens as if somehow fates were conspiring against him, the worse he played. And then Lendl came along and just wouldn't put up with any of that bullshit. Just wouldn't listen to it, wouldn't have it, you know. And, uh, and I think, I don't know what they said in private, but probably said, don't look at me and don't start complaining to me. And I watched Andy contain that energy and refocus it back through his racket. And he played so much better that when he started to have some relish instead of being kind of begrudging or resentful and even applaud the people on the other side of the net for great shots. And um, on his day, he's a great player. And, you know, he's got it all in his racket and his feet. He's an incredible athlete. It's all in his head, like it is for most of them. We've seen as well... And it's hip now, unfortunately. Well, yeah, you know. and we've seen this week, he really has laid it all out there. He was talking to our co-presenter and now the presenter of Amazon Prime Video's coverage, Catherine Whittaker, uh, a few days ago and just explaining how hard it had been for him mentally dealing with the fact that the one thing he really wanted to do in life, he suddenly wasn't able yeah, to do. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to be injured, to have a long injury, to try and come back and be match fit and also... You know, there's a certain level of uh, appropriate size vanity where you don't want to lose in front of people or be rubbish and you don't want to come back slowly in front of crowds who are used to seeing you win. So how, how match fit can you get yourself in private before you appear? You know, it's, it's a difficult thing. And, and we have these ridiculous expectations because you see, you know, it started with Henna and, and uh, Kim Kleisters coming back and winning, not having played for a long time. And then Rafa comes back and wins, and Roger comes back and wins. Serena, we, we just felt like, well, we've seen this story before. She's going to come back and win everything, and we shouldn't be surprised that she gets injured or that it's hard to do because it's absurd what we've seen. So I'm sure Andy, having seen those fairy stories for himself, thought, well, I'll come back and I'll win somewhere in the back of his head, and it's just not that easy, obviously. When, when did you fall in love with the sport? Is, was there a player in your younger well, years? Well, I had the same birthday as Bjorn Borg, oh, yeah. and I used to watch Borg and think... Okay, this is, I remember reading a karate book when I was about 12 and being amazed that I wasn't a black belt because I've read the whole book because I've never done any karate. And similarly, I watched Borg and go, well, we've got the same birthday. We could have had the same life. I just, I just never practiced as much, <laughs> living in the strange bubble of denial. But, um, yeah, from Borg McEnroe days onwards, I, I've always loved that. I put my first bet on on a McEnroe board game that, that it would go to 3-2. And, uh, and I won money, so it was, I fell in love with both tennis and gambling at the same time. <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. And those days in the Stasi and Connors and, you know, just fa- the, the characters along the way, Garolitis, all those, they were playboys. They were, kind of, they were swashbuckling players. Yeah, they were. They were. Talking of swashbuckling players, Grigor Dimitrov on his day is a swashbuckling player. It's not his day. Obviously not happening today. What's I'll happening in the second set? 6-4-5-1 is the scoreline. Oh, that's Novak not going Djokovic. on much longer. Novak Djokovic is taking him to what the cleaners. Uh, he, well, it's he, nice for Novak, I have to say. But Novak's been, you know, Novak's been doing what uh, the others. I was saying the others didn't do. He's been making a very slow comeback, not from a catastrophic injury, but really from a psychological collapse. And uh, it's a, you know, it's a mountain he's climbing very, very slowly and humbly. Actually, watching him do it with good grace. And uh, it's nice to see him win something. Yeah, it's nice to see him back here. First time playing here at the Queen's Club for eight years now. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's really out there and He's taking his it. licks. He's putting his head up above the parapet and going, I need to, you know, climb my way back. Uh, and he's, he, has to take, he has to take the losses with the wins and, and admit to himself there is no secret formula to it. He's not going to do it overnight. 
but I hope he gets to somewhere near where he was before because it was magnificent to watch. But I mean, I, I saw him play Roger in the final Wimbledon, and Roger was standing on the baseline waiting to get into the net, like he'd done in the quarters and semis, and he couldn't take a single step forward. Every ball came so deep and so hard, it was, it was magical. Yeah, he's so precise, that guy. Um, Kyle Edmund is the British number one. He's the man who was edged out by Nick Kyrgios. He's an ambassador for Great Ormond Street Hospital, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons you're here today. Well, I'm here today because Great Ormond Street offered me the tickets. They know I love tennis, and I said, give them to one of the kids. You know, And they said, well, ordinary kids you know, who aren't sick should be at school, so you can't offer them to the families. Yeah. Uh, and the nurses and doctors all come. Many of them have already come, and the kids who are sick can't get there, and they can't be sitting in the heat. So don't feel bad about it, but will you talk about us? And I'm... I'm you know, I could talk endlessly more than I can talk about tennis about Great Ormond Street because it's a truly magnificent place where I've seen not only the miraculous work they do and how they either heal or help people manage these terrible long-term illnesses but how they treat the families and also absurd things like the doctors and nurses going to the funerals of the kids who don't make it you know, it's, a, it's a building in which there's not only the very best and latest in medical science for free for anyone who needs it but also there's love. I mean, there's real, there's real tenderness and real care on a scale that, that's unimaginable. And, in fact, the charity that drew the attention of the tournament director here uh, was set up by uh, Emily and Pete because their son James died after the very best treatment they could possibly get from Great Ormond Street. And they turned that into a positive. And they and a bunch of other parents who lost their kids but who are in, in, you know, uh, enormously in debt to Great Ormond Street started a charity that has raised a fortune for Great Ormond Street. And... and continues to make life better for kids who are sick now so it's a really special place and a great great charity to be allied with it certainly is it certainly is and we are really honored to be partnered with them as well as our official charity great ormond street hospital Jason, it's been lovely to have you with us. Oh, it's great. We've obviously we've missed the end of this match. Yeah, really. I well, think it's match the, point. We're neither there. It's Juice and six four. You never know. He might come back. I doubt. I was at <laughs> Wimbledon for that match when Steffi Graf was a set and five love down oh. or five one down to who was it? Was it Matt it been, or someone? Would it have been Jana Novotna? Yes, the, it was Jana Novotna who lost the and late then sobbed Jana. her guts out. It was yeah. heartbreaking. No, that was but the, it was bloody right. good tennis. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and there have been a few others over the yeah, years. Yeah. Do you remember the day Jimmy Connors trailed Mikhail Panforge two sets to love? and 5-1 wow and still won at that's Wimbledon that's impressive I was I was uh, had the BBC tickets when Roger was two sets down to Beneteau oh. and seemed to be strolling through it and just wanted to go home like you know there was, he had something better to do and then he just very slowly made his way back and in fact, I saw Pete Sampras at the US Open as well. He was two sets down, I think, to Kafelnikov or someone. And he just looked up and looked at the rest of us. He went, yeah, enough of this, bollocks. And he just <laughs> turned, changed gear and smashed him off the court for the next three sets. Yeah, it that's is. what the grades do. That's what the grades do. It yeah. is. Well, it's been lovely. Thanks Thank so you much very much. Your time. To be continued. And in the meantime, 6-4-5-1 Djokovic against Dimitrov. We'll bring you the results of that shortly. But first of all, let's hear from Nick Kyrgios after that win over Carl Edmund. I thought it was a pretty high-level match from both both players. Um, obviously, I served really, really well. I found my rhythm quite early. But, I mean, to be honest, I mean, he got pretty much every break in the second set. You know, he had net tapes, lines, you know, everything, you know, on big points. I thought I, you know, played well enough to, to get a break here or there. But, you know, on grass, you know, he, he played, he, I thought he played well today. Honestly, you know, he served well. He returned well. And, you know, I got a lucky break in the, in the third set. You know, made a couple of loose errors. And that was pretty much all, all was in it. The crowd's been awesome here the last couple of days, um, especially, you know, I haven't really played my best tennis here at all and, you know, I always get a pretty warm welcome. So, yeah, I feel, I feel good. I feel at home here. I feel pretty good. Um, I got a bit tight towards the end of the match, um, which is normal. I think yeah, I haven't played a lot of matches in the last couple of months. So, I mean, when I'm serving at a match, you know, with, 
you know, we've been playing for a couple of hours and the level's been pretty good. I got pretty tight. But, um, yeah, I mean, apart from that, I mean, I, I'm always pretty relaxed. You know, 32 aces helps. So that was Nick Kyrgios after his three-set victory over Kyle Edmund, during which I thought he was very impressive, very professional, very different to the Nick Kyrgios that faced Andy Murray. You'll notice, by the way, that I'm not Jason Isaacs. Well well done for everyone, everyone that's noticed I'm not Jason Isaacs. Uh, he has left the building. It is now about four or five hours hence, but I am still joined by David Law. It's pretty cool having Jason Isaacs on, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a bit annoyed that he was on when I wasn't here. But I know. Yeah. I did try to delay him. I know. Until you got back from Amazon Prime Video where you've been if he pre- wasn't, presenting. If he wasn't so nice, I'd be annoyed that he wouldn't wait around for me to finish my swanky TV gig and yeah. make it to Queen's. But he was great, wasn't he? No, he was. Fascinating. I mean, we've been listening to him for years, haven't we? On Mayo and Commode's film reviews as much as anything because he's become such a, a big part of their show. And... Uh, you know, to have him on our show. Well, he wants to be a regular now. So he told me. And I've learned who Lucius Malfoy is. I must confess, I, I've got nothing against Harry Potter at all. I just completely missed the boat. And you know how you... Harry Potter you, will be It's delighted. one of those things where you're either into it or you're not. And, yes. and you, you're forced to pick a side and because and, I missed the boat so early. Still there in the archive. You can go Yeah, back. I know. I'm, I, I'm not ruling it out. But anyway, today was the day that I learned who Lucius Malfoy is. So me too. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> My kids are getting just not, about old enough. That's not that we thing. don't love your works, Jason. I know we probably should. It's good you'll be waiting until he's gone. Sadly, he might be listening. So we've already heard from Jason Isaacs, Nick Kyrgios as well. It's uh, it's beautifully and uh, eclectically star-studded so far, and uh, yeah, to at the point that you and Jason left off the podcast, Novak Djokovic was well on his way to victory over uh, Grigor Dimitrov. It probably won't come as a surprise to hear that he ended off finishing that victory in quite emphatic style, I thought. I mean, I really think Dimitrov probably needs to do a little bit of soul-searching after this, and it's possible that he just was putting too much pressure on himself for this to be the week where it all falls into place. Maybe, but, you know, my sense, and I wasn't watching the whole match, but canvassing a few opinions and watching the bits that I did, I, I think Djokovic caused all the disharmony in the game of Dimitrov with the length the depth of those strokes they were all landing on the baseline and if that keeps happening how well have you got to be playing in order to to combat that I agree I think Djokovic was brilliant however two double faults serving 4-5 to stay in the match mm. well actually it was what quite... does that tell you about the mindset of Grigor Dimitrov I, I, I did mean... find it very interesting in the the coverage that I saw of, of Prime, set, sorry, yeah, uh, on on Prime Video today, Greg Rosetsky was analysing the serve of uh, of Dimitrov and, and and kinks that he feels he's got in it and the, the lack of, I think it was sort of shoulder turn. I, I mean, you know, I'm talking out it's of my actually wrist snap. Is it? I okay. mean, yeah, shoulder turn as well as a, as a side issue. I mean, there's many things that and Greg also, would change about the Dimitrov serve, but it's actually it's where he holds. The, the, the racket, racket handle yeah. it's physically where his hand is on the racket handle and he's he's physically not able to get the the torsion in his the flexion in his wrist that he needs to because the 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 racket handle grip is preventing him from doing that yeah fascinating way of analyzing it really i, I thought to actually to visually do so and I, and I don't doubt for a second david that there are technical issues with his serve and you know the number of faults he's double faults he served this year and the issues that he's had are indicative of that however 
you can't overlook the timing of when the double faults are coming and that points to a mental issue doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah i look i i think he is lacking confidence in it and we we even saw at the end of last year at the O2 when he was trying to serve it out he does get tight and i think the the big telltale for me was were, were the sim, simple number of double faults he was hitting early on this year remember when he just squeaked past john millman i think it was in brisbane and and he was serving double figures double faults regularly and and you can't get away with that yeah not against novak djokovic and he really was in uh, in sensational form today i thought and really intense looking on the court he looked like he was enjoying playing tennis throughout there were no dips in that I thought the French Open there were moments where he got it going and then he went flat again and looked like he'd rather be anywhere else but there but throughout the match I know it's easier over best of three but he really looked present he, he also looks just <laughs> like this word present good word he looks like he's enjoying himself on the tennis circuit again I mean this is my first chance to see him close up for a long long time is it all down to Queens well I, look, his I, queens made him fall back I just, in love I with can, the sport. I can only say what he's like backstage, having seen him up close here, because I don't get to do that anywhere else. And I saw him straight after that match, after he'd done his press conference. He was hanging out with the, uh, the footballers, uh, Andrei Shevchenko, who was a guest of his today, and uh, Jamie Redknapp, who he'd got to know when he did that uh, exhibition charity. And it, was a, it was an exhibition thing in Monte Carlo, part of that uh, Sky show that that Jamie Redknapp does and uh, and they they I mean you know I just happened to be in the room while they were having a conversation and Djokovic was so chilled he he just seems at one with himself at the moment certainly off the court and and he is on the court the 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 big question mark will be what happens when it gets tight but he looks like he's having fun out there I mean he seems I mean, he beat the guy 6-4-6-1. That is not normally cause for jubilant celebrations for Novak Djokovic in years gone by because he used to do that all the time. He just looks excited again. And that's, that's really nice. It's nice seeing it. He hasn't been here in eight years and he just looks really up for it. Should we hear from the man himself, David? Do it. Here he is. Novak, congratulations through to the quarterfinals. You must be very happy with how today went. Yes, very, very pleased, um, obviously playing against one of the top players in the world. Uh, Dimitrov uh, had a season of his life um, last year and obviously started off this year very well. And he always is one of the, 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 the biggest players to beat on this surface. He just had enjoyed a lot of success in Queens and Wimbledon. And uh, it was just big for me. You know, I I've really was focused. I was determined. I really wanted to get the best out of myself today on the court, see what I'm you know where I'm at and uh, especially after the first round's performance that was uh, quite thrilling and so I backed it up and I'm really really happy for that. Social media got very excited at the end. First top 10 wins since May last year, first yeah. top 5 wins since January last year. <laughs> we in the media get very excited about things yes. like that. As a player how much does it mean to you and how aware are you of those numbers? Yeah very excited and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, for all the attention, love and support that I get from people and Obviously, I have been waiting to, for this moment, you know, to, to uh, kind of win against the top player for, for more than a year. And uh, uh, it was quite frustrating for me coming back from, from surgery, not being able to play at the level that, that I'm used to and that I've played for so, so many years. But it's a process where you have to just um, ac- you have to accept it. You have to understand, you know, what, what it takes um, 
to, to get on that level and, and just trust that things and believe that things will come together. And uh, it seems like the last month and a half, you know, with Rome, uh, semifinals, quarters in French, and now these first two matches here, things are, in terms of my uh, level of my game, are coming together. I liked a recent tweet of yours. You said, I really missed, I didn't realize how much I'd missed the smell of freshly cut grass. <laughs> how special is it? It's just, just a little yeah. part of the year, but how special is this time of the year? Very special. Um, three out of four Grand Slams were played on grass courts not long ago. Um, and, and now we have a little bit over a month, I think, uh, grass court season throughout the entire year. And uh, that's why this, this surface is very special. It's so rare now. And, of course, Wimbledon being uh, probably the most uh, renowned and prestigious tennis tournament in the world um, is, is a dream for, for everyone to win um, there and just to play at the center court. I've had a, I had that privilege to play on this freshly cut grass in on the center court a couple of times, and um, it's just it's it's wonderful. And and people here at Queens Club and and Wimbledon, um, just very knowledgeable about our sport. Obviously, they've been coming. You can see that that people know, you know, now how to support players, how to behave on the, on the tennis tennis courts, and just uh, just very passionate about this game, and they share it with us. So. For me, it's, it's obviously, as a player, it's, it's a pleasure to, to be around. I finally know that this is where it gets tough. We've asked all the players to do this, is pick one of the sticks from our glass, any stick. Okay. If you don't want to ask one, you can put it back in again. But read out the question and give us your answer. What are you addicted to? <laughs> love. <laughs> I'm addicted to love. That's a really good answer. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Great. So that's Novak Djokovic. Addicted to love, David. He might as well face it. <laughs> that was good. That, she didn't even write that down. I'm looking at her desk. There's nothing on it. Uh, yes, he is that. Um, but no, great to hear from Novak Djokovic. And I don't know, I think there is a, a real chance of, of a Kyrgios Djokovic final here. Well, let's be honest. He's in the better portion of the draw, isn't he, Novak Djokovic? With all due respect to Adrian Manorino, who is his quarterfinal opponent, Gigi spoke to him earlier Adrian Manorino and uh, he's, an, he's a nice guy and he played very well against Julian Beneteau earlier in the Amazon Prime studio everyone was picking uh, Beneteau to win yeah, that one yeah the commentators were as well so big credit to Adrian Manorino but uh, Gigi said that in her interview with him he was very much focusing on just being pleased with having reached the quarterfinals <laughs> now look anything can I'd happen you know that. he challenged him uh, when they met in the fourth round of Wimbledon last year and nobody was giving him a chance of doing that so I'm very aware that anything can happen in tennis but Gigi's report on the interview was nice guy very pleased to be in the quarterfinals, wasn't talking up a brilliant game about his chances of beating Novak Djokovic. No, and I would have thought, games-wise, again, I'm not Greg Rosetsky, I'm not a former player, but I just kind of feel as though a flat hit against Novak Djokovic is unlikely to get it done. If he's on, if he's on his game, I think he has his way with that kind Nick of game. Kyrgios has a flat hit. So if he, you're ki- predicting a Djokovic-Kyrgios final... No, he has, a, he has a flat fit on, hit on one side, on the backhand. He has an incredibly spinny forehand. Yeah, well, he can flatten it out, though. He can. But yeah, it's a very, very flat backhand, though. Mm, it is. 
pancake flat. Well, anyway, with all due respect to Jeremy Shardy, who is in sensational form, by the way, and faces Francis Tierfo in the last match of the day on centre court tomorrow, uh, and Adrian Manorino, Djokovic is sitting pretty in the better half of the draw, it has to be said. In the top half of the draw, we've got Kyrgios against Lopez. And uh, again, talking to Gigi earlier, nobody really talked about the prospect of Feliciano Lopez maybe doing the double here at the head of, ahead of this event. We all sort of talked and reflected on his win last year here as this really sort of romantic, wonderful story and as this sort of standalone moment that existed in a vacuum. And it was incredibly special. And the way he talks about it, about winning here last year, it still makes me tear up a little bit. Mm, I'm tired and emotional, yes. David, but it still does make me a little bit misty-eyed. We are a bit. Um, but n- not one of us has at any point suggested the prospect of him backing it up with another win this year. But then I suddenly looked at the draw show and I thought, hang on, why couldn't he? No, he could. He, he could, especially after having that buy through this, this round. I mean, you know, that is a help to anybody uh, on one level. And he is playing really well. I mean, he described that match the other day as his best match of the whole year, six months in. OK, he's had a tough time in, at times, but I just feel as though, I mean, that, I saw them play each other at Wimbledon uh, a couple of years ago and, and Kyrgios won it. After they'd come back overnight, it had been once at all. They came back overnight. Kyrgios was pumped, and he really took him apart that day. And and if he's on, I just feel that the, the swinging lefty serve into the backhand of Kyrgios plays into his hands because Kyrgios has got a really good backhand return, short take back, just reliable, and boom, straight at the knees of your opponent. And, and he, he causes problems, Kyrgios, with that I mean, backhand. the fact is, if he's on, David, Nick Kyrgios is a match for anyone. If not well, a he's, he's up for it. This is the thing. He, okay, he had a bit yes, of a wobble against Something's Smith, clicked in, hasn't it? Maybe it's playing doubles with Leighton Hewitt. I think it's beating Andy Murray and getting that out of the way. That's cleared his head. And having Leighton Hewitt around. I don't think that hurts. doesn't hurt. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Uh, the first uh, quarterfinal of the day. Is that right? I've not got the order of play in front of me. I thought I had We haven't had a quarterfinal today it. because Feliciano Lopez no, no, got tomorrow. through the pie. Oh, no, hold on, yeah. tomorrow. I think oh, the yeah. first match of the day... Is Chilich against Query, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, so I had, I do have the photographic memory that I thought I had. Congratulations. Um, Chilich against Query, David. Who's coming through that? Chilich. I, I think, I mean, you know, I think Query's playing really well, I should say. I mean, he was, he's been excellent so far, but Chilich has always beaten him, 5-0, and oh, and they have really close matches. They had a 17-15 in the fifth set once, but... I'd still back Chilich. And the fact is, usually when similar game styles come up against one another, one another, it simply comes down to, and uh, with all due respect to Sam Querrey, Marin Chilich is a Grand Slam champion. Uh, I mean, they're both former champions here, but a Wimbledon finalist, it usually just comes down to who is the better player. I mean, you look at David Ferrer and Rafael Nadal, wonderful player, David Ferrer, but when you when you match up the same game styles, it's simply who is better. It's not about tactics or anything like that. So Marin Cilic for me, the marginally better player. Cilic coming through that. Cilic Kyrgios in the... Well, Cilic Lopez, though. Mm. Mm. I said that too hastily, David. Intrigue. I said that too hastily. Yeah, Kyrgios Lopez for me is the one with the most intrigue surrounding it. But anyway, that is for tomorrow. Yes. Um, I hope I filled the shoes of of Jason Isaacs. Mm. At, uh, appropriately, sufficiently. Yeah, he was pretty good. He, he was pretty good. Anyway, no offense. Anyway, he couldn't stick around until 10 p.m. No. So <laughs> I was all that was left. Um, David, thank you. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph. I've been broadcasting all day 
for Amazon Prime. Hope you're enjoying their coverage. It's quite good. I'm enjoying their coverage, but I, I'm, I'm on quite it. Enjoying so. it. I've had a little watch. <laughs> Tell you what, it's good. I'm telling you. She's, she's quite good, actually. Um, and with our executive producers, Triple S, Melanie Bowes, TennisBalls.com, with La Manga Club. Um, it's probably very much hotting up over at La Manga, isn't it? June? Yeah. Heading into July? Should we go? It's quite warm here, but I'm, I'm sure it's very nice over at La Manga as well. With Charlie the Ferret and with David, I just wanted to mention, because in the podcast that never went to air yesterday in the podcast that never was with Gigi and I. Can we not you, remember that? Which you'll have to take my word for it, was an absolute belter. All right. <laughs> I didn't even hear it myself, let alone, I mean, listeners are like, yeah, well, thanks. Great. Sounds I mean, awesome. take my word for it. It was podcast of the century. It was really, <laughs> really great. And apologies to John Millman, uh, if you're listening, for, for the podcast that you guested on not making it to air. You're making it worse. Anyway. Uh, what I did uh, mention at the end of that podcast was that student Matt is now graduate Matt because he got a first in his degree yesterday. We got that news yesterday. And uh, you're looking at me. I'm thinking congratulations, Matt. Grad Matt. Congratulations, graduate Matt. I just wanted to give it a mention because somehow Quite he's right. managed to get a first despite the fact that he devoted most of his energies to helping us with the tennis podcast throughout his time studying. So that is a talented young man. Inspired him. <laughs> that is one way of looking at it. So, yeah, tonight we've been brought to you in association with Triple S, Melanie Bowes, TennisBalls.com, La Manga Club, Charlie the Ferret and Graduate Matt. We'll see you tomorrow. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 